Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. Just on the radio alone, I call five World Series. And Yankee fans certainly have an expectation, because there's 27 championships, that every year you're going to get one. You know, you could look up anything you want, but I think that a team's broadcaster should have that team in their soul. You can't add Juan Soto and say you're not better. But in order to get a player like Juan Soto, you got to give up something that hurts. And the Yankees gave up a really good package, but I think that Soto either batting ahead of Judge or behind Judge, it's going to be unbelievable. You know, what scares me is that quite literally I'm on the air live seven or eight hours a day. At some point I'm going to say something really bad and probably get fired for it. But it hasn't happened in 32 years, so I keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't happen. got a call early last year would you be interested in doing this cruise i said yankee fans gonna be on it yeah absolutely let's do it and it's been more than i could have imagined hello hello and welcome to one final 2023 episode of the new york yankees official podcast i'm john schwartz i am the deputy editor for yankees magazine i am back on dry land after a really exciting week aboard the celebrity apex with expedia cruises and many former members of the New York Yankees as part of the Legends of Baseball cruise. We are going to talk about that with the Yes Networks in ESPN Radio's Michael Kay. But right now, joining me across the table, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. How you doing, Nate? Hey, John. Good to see you back here in the Bronx. So you got your uh, you got your feet back under you? I'm working on it still. Little, still a little shaky, uh, you know. We definitely uh, sailed through some pretty interesting weather, and uh, I learned uh, just how strong my stomach is. That was good to know, but it's good to be back. Well, this is certainly one of the more interesting podcast episodes that we've had, so um, I, I think people are going to enjoy this one. So let's get to the conversation with Michael Kay. When we're done with that, we can talk about New Yankee Juan Soto and certainly about the upcoming pinstripe ball here at Yankee Stadium next week between the University of Miami and Rutgers University. But first, here's Michael Kay. Joining me right now aboard the Celebrity Apex, we have TV, radio, Yankees voice, Michael Kay. How you doing, Michael? I'm great. How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing really great. So you've been doing this for several decades right now. You get started. What is the possible thought in your head that, you know, someday there's going to be a Legends of Baseball cruise and I'm going to be one of the featured guests on this this thing? Well, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, I'm blown away by my whole career. I mean, this is something I wanted to do since I was nine, so... 
this year on opening day, I'll start my 33rd season announcing the Yankees. And then I got a call, you know, early last year. Would you be interested in doing this cruise? I said, Yankee fans are going to be on it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And it's been more than I could have imagined. And there, and there's guys on here who you know well, guys who you are involved in calling moments from their lives and guys who you've seen old timers day and things like that. I don't know. For me, it's just very almost heartwarming to just see the way that Yankees family works. You know, it doesn't matter if you played for the Yankees for two years or if you played for the Yankees your entire career. You know, these guys just all share that aspect of it, right? Well, I just love when when old Yankees or older Yankees, ex-Yankees get together because I see it on Old Timers Day. And when they're together, the stories are what they were when they played and everybody when they're together, they're young again. You know, they're, you know, Mickey Rivers and Ron Bloomberg, you know, they're talking like it's 1976 and Cecil Fielder in Orlando are joking and, and Chris Chambliss and, and, and Greg Nettles. And I think that that's what this is all about. And I think the fans should get involved as well because the fans are so uh, important to the whole process. And now to get to interact with these players that they watched and they experienced those moments just like the players did. I think that adds a special magic to it all. I think you're right. And, and I think that one of the interesting things to me about the Yankees is there's almost a little bit of a curse of their success in a sense, right? Because not only do you expect it, but it makes it sometimes hard to contextualize some of the things you're seeing in the present, right? You're calling every one of these things. Some of these moments that you're seeing right now, you don't know going into the 2022 season, you're about to call 62 home runs for Aaron Judge, but one and then one and then one and then one real history is being made every one of those games in a sense. It doesn't necessarily always announce itself to you. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, you go to other cities and uh, obviously other teams coming to the stadium and you talk with broadcasters who are just looking to have their team get into the playoffs, to have that experience of, of getting into the playoffs. And, you know, just on the radio alone, I call five World Series. I mean, you know, you got Gary Cohen, who's an unbelievable announcer for the Mets, and, you know, they haven't won since 86. And Yankee fans certainly have an expectation because there's 27 championships that every year you're going to get one. I think the game has changed a lot. So the people that play that what would George do game, he wouldn't do the same thing now because he wouldn't be allowed to do the same thing because things have changed. The way the game is uh, is policed in terms of spending money and losing draft picks and, and salary taxes and stuff like that, that's something that the Steinbrenner family now – particularly how they have to manage. But still, the thing that make the Yankees different is that they're in it every year. Even last year when they were 82 and 80, when that season started, all of us thought they had a chance to win the World Series. Not many teams have an opportunity to do that. Might, there might be five or six, but even those five or six in baseball, they don't always make the playoffs. The Yankees have been an over 500 team for 30 years now. So I've been fortunate, and you know, we talked about it earlier in the cruise, and my favorite calls. The fact that I that I even can sit there and like wonder which one it was shows you how many opportunities I've had and John Sterling has had. It's just amazing. They give you so many great chances to make these great calls and be part of history. You started as a writer, obviously. You know, like I do. Back, you know, you used to be pulling down the total baseball or the baseball encyclopedia from it and trying to, you know, make sense of someone's career in that way. Now, we all have phones in our pockets that if we want to watch Chris Chambliss' 1976 home run, it, it'll just come up, right? Mm -hmm. When you do that, you, 
you're the voice on a lot of these more contemporary moments. That just has to be surreal. I mean, are you able to disconnect yourself from that in a sense no. when you're watching a moment? And it's like, oh, right, I'm also the person narrating no, this. No, I, I am able to disconnect because I consider myself so fortunate. Like, I can't even believe that the kid that grew up, you know, 10 minutes from Yankee Stadium is actually doing this. You know, there were, there were four male voices in my house growing up. My dad, Bill White, Frank Messer, and Phil Rizzuto. And, you know, that, that's what I grew up listening to on, on Pix 11. And now to just even be part of that lineage is just, it's just amazing to me. And, you know, sometimes, like my son, who's a big baseball fan, will, will go on YouTube and, you know, he'll look at some moments and go, that's you. Were you there? I, yeah, I was there. And it's kind of amazing that I was there. And believe me, there's not a day that goes by that I don't appreciate that I was there. But you mentioned, you mentioned growing up in the Bronx, obviously. You know, you talk about Bobby Mercer. Yankees fans certainly have you you know, talking to them, they have John Sterling talk to them, another, you know, local guy, grew up Upper East Side of Manhattan. How meaningful is it, do you think? Because, look, plenty of people will take any job, any port in the storm, whatever. You know, to have two people as so such prom, so prominently as the voice of the Yankees who have been part of that fold and are local in that way, I think it, I think it keeps it tight-knit it keeps it keeps it close in a sense i think it's really important for any team's broadcaster and it doesn't always happen that way no. because you know you could look up anything you want you know be, everything's at our disposal now but i think that a team's broadcaster should have that team in their soul and you know there are guys that do great jobs that go to other cities and they just immerse themselves in the history but i lived horace clark i lived jerry kenny i lived Gene Michael, and John's the same way. John goes back even further. And I think that's important because it's an institutional memory. Oh, that reminds me of this, or that reminds me of Sparky Lyle, or that reminds me. I think that's important to have it in your soul. And every now and then I'll say something on the air, and I'll say, oh, that, that reminds me of you know when Gene Michael played shortstop. And then my producer, Troy, will talk into my ear and go, in your soul, in your soul. And I take that as the ultimate compliment because again you could study and you could learn team's history but unless you lived it, it, it it's hard to do and the yankees are fortunate you know because they the two the radio and the tv guy grew up in new york and then ryan rucco who does games on yes same deal grew up a yankee fan so it doesn't mean that you have to be a homer doesn't mean that you have to root for the team but it means that you have to have them in your heart and you have to have lived some of those moments you know as waldo mentioned it though the other day he said it you know he can watch the video of his first home run and you're a part of it. You know, you know, he hears your voice and he connects you with that. When you see these young kids coming up and you know that you share that connection with them, is that intimidating ever? Is, is there ever a sense of, man, like, you know, I'm a part of this guy's life now forever. Whatever happens in his career, I, I, I have that connection with him. Well, when the young guys come up now, you, you know, those that listen to my radio show, I'm very morbid. So I go, gee, I wonder if I'm going to be alive when Anthony Volpe's done playing. You know, that that's what enters my head with the young guys. But I, I mentioned this earlier in the cruise, and, and I, I don't know why I felt like this, and I've tried to break it down. You know, the Aaron Judge run to 62, I never felt such pressure. Maybe it's because of the uh, increased influence of social media. Everybody becomes a critic. Everybody, Phil Mushnick or, or, you know, Andrew Marshand, I get it. But I just didn't want to mess it up for him. So when he looks at his 60-second home run, he calls it up when he's like 50 years old. I don't want somebody stumbling over the call. It had nothing to do with me. 
I'm not part of it. I'm just a little bit of a frame that he painted this wonderful picture. I felt so much pressure that I didn't want to mess it up for him. And then I look back at, at some of, you know, I was lucky even when I was on the radio. I only did three innings of play-by-play, but for some reason, I called most of Derek's big moments. And when Derek got into the Hall of Fame and we were in the same room, I said, thank you for letting me piggyback on just a little part of your greatness. He goes, no, thank you for actually making it sound better than it was. But, you know, he's super humble. But, um, yeah, I, I do feel a responsibility, but I don't start feeling that responsibility when they first come up. When they're about to do something great and it's a big moment, like it's the last out of a no-hitter or a perfect game, you don't want to mess that up. I think one of the most special things for me on this cruise, again, as an observer, was watching the way Oswaldo Cabrera connected with some of these old timers, some of these you know guys who retired decades ago. And the thing I keep going back to is this is a kid who no one knows what this year holds for him, let alone the rest of his career. But if he wants to look 30 years into the future right now, he'll, he'll always be able to do this in a sense. I think that's something that you get from being a Yankee. Cecil Fielder right now is not on a Detroit Tigers cruise. He's on a New York Yankees cruise. And, and I think that there's just something so meaningful about the connection and, and basically the lifetime membership that you get when, when, when you start playing here. Well, I think you could use the phrase once a Yankee, always a Yankee. The thing with Cabrera that's different, and I'm sure that everybody that's in this room listening to this, there aren't a lot like him. Yes. His ability to interact, his his overall sweetness, his lack of ego. I mean, you don't really see that in modern day athletes. You just don't. And he's one of those guys that when you walk into the clubhouse on the road or at Yankee Stadium, he comes up and says, hi, how you doing? That's not the norm. I just want everybody to know that's not the norm. He is a, a special, special kid. Somebody like that, you want to see him do well. You know, I look at the, the roster as it's developing now. I don't know how he fits. I hope that he does. I don't know if he will. But uh, he has made his mark in his short time here just because of how sweet and classy and graceful he is. You know, because you're a Yankee. You know, you could carry yourself differently, you know. But I think everybody here probably had a moment where they interacted with him and they felt like he was really listening. You know, he's one of these guys when he says, how you doing? He really wants to he know wants how you're doing. You know, most people go, how you doing? And they're just waiting for the exit. You know, I don't want to hear how you doing. I just felt it was the right thing to say. He actually says, how you doing? And he's engaged and he's invested in the answer. He's like, like that with the media. He's like that with fans. And I think, it's, I think it's great. So you do root for him to do good things. So you brought it up. So kind of let's go there. Obviously, the big news around the Yankees as we record this. Juan Soto is now a Yankee. I, I mean, from a writer's perspective, certainly exciting to have a, a fun story to write about. I'm sure for the fans, it's it, it's just wild. What When you look at that transaction, what do you think that does for the 2024 Yankees that was missing in 2023? Well, obviously, they didn't hit enough last year. I think they were 29th in offense. The only team worse was Oakland, and Oakland's not trying. So that, that kind of tells you how, how much they struggled. You know, I've had debates on my radio show with people. Well, he doesn't he doesn't make them a World Series winner. Well, yeah, they don't have enough pitching yet. They're not done as of this taping. But you can't add Juan Soto and say you're not better. So, I mean, if you look at the advanced metrics, you know, usually has a wins above replacement of five or six. You look at what they ran out in left field last year. If you give them six more wins, they're 88 from last year, and they're probably in the playoffs. So, I... I 
you know, it hurt giving up what they gave up, particularly King. And Drew Thorpe looks like he could be a good pitcher. But King's going to be special. But in order to get a player like Juan Soto, you got to give up something that hurts. And the Yankees gave up a really good package of four pitchers and Higashioka. But I think that Soto, either batting ahead of Judge or behind Judge, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to make Judge a better player because they're going to have to pitch to him every now and then. Because there's nobody the Yankees ran out the last couple of years behind Judge that a pitcher wouldn't rather pitch to that guy than Judge. Now, you still would rather probably pitch to Soto than Judge, but you're going to have to think about it. So Judge is going to see more pitches to hit. I, I'll point out, though, the, the comments you made about Oswaldo Cabrera and the way he is. If you had asked me to name two other people on the 2023 Yankees, I would have said that about Michael King and Kyle Higashioka are, are exactly that way, too. Those are big losses for the team, obviously, in different ways. And look, I don't think that Higashioka had a role on this team, obviously. Michael King sure did. But, you know, th th those are tough guys to lose in the clubhouse. It's funny. I don't usually collect, you know, the players' numbers, but I Susan Waldman does. So when those two guys got traded, I said, can you give me their numbers? And I, I texted both of them, thanking them for how they treated me. I mean, they're great, great guys. And both of them sent back beautiful text messages. And it's just what they're about. You know, Buck Walter once told me about Derek Jeter. He met Derek Jeter when the Yankees drafted him. And then they sent Derek up to the radio booth to be interviewed by me and, and John. And so the next day I went down to Buck. I said, well, what do you think of the, you know, the kid they drafted? In the first round, he said, I, I mean, the scouts say he's a good player. I, I've never seen it. He goes, but I'll tell you one thing. I guarantee you this today. I said, what? He said, he'll never, ever, ever embarrass the New York Yankees. I said, well, how do you know that? He goes, all you have to do is meet the parents. And that's you see that with Judge. You see that with Michael King. You see that with Higashioka. If you're well-raised, you're really going to have to go off the reservation to be a, a bad seed. So th those people are tremendous. And they will be lost. You know, it'll be a loss to the media who likes dealing with them, a loss to their teammates because they all love those guys. And um, but again, you're going to have to swallow hard to get a player like Juan Soto. There's a price. That, that's just the way it is. Michael, you watch just about every Yankees game every year. And I, and I get that athletes aren't allowed to make excuses. Sports teams aren't allowed to make excuses. I think it's reasonable to say that the Yankees were destroyed by injuries last year. I don't think that is necessarily an excuse. I think that if the Yankees get more from Carlos Rodon, I think if the Yankees get more from Nestor Cortez, I think if Judge doesn't lose a battle against the right field wall at Dodger Stadium, you know, all, all these things, is, is there an ability to, to say that without it being an excuse? Or at the end of the day, is it just you are what your record is? It, it seems like it's, it's a new thing where the, the cliche is, well, there's no such thing as excuses. And to me, that's nonsense. You can call them reasons then. There are excuses, and it doesn't mean it's a cop-out. If you want to look back on the 2023 Yankees and say, why did this happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Judge got hurt. Cortez got hurt. Rodon was hurt at the beginning of the year. People were falling by the wayside. Stanton got hurt, also wasn't hitting well when he played. Rizzo got hurt. You can't tell me if those things don't happen that the Yankees are not a playoff team. Now, there are certainly negative things about the team and the way it was built, and there's some holes there in age. Uh, the fact that they weren't very athletic in a, in a sport now that's trying to become more athletic. But I never buy that nonsense, that cliche that, well, 
there's no such thing as excuses. Really, there are excuses and there are reasons. And I just gave you a couple of them why 2023 didn't work out. Now, I wasn't a big believer in running it back and seeing, well, let's see if everything goes well again, because the Yankees, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, have had a lot of problems with injuries. So you can't ever say that it's not going to happen. But you go out and you get a Soto shows you that the Yankees are not happy with the way they were built. Shows you that, you know, they're going out and trying to improve their pitching. They know exactly what went wrong last year. But I think the biggest thing were the injuries. At this point in your career, obviously, I mean, like, you know, the Yankees like the back of your hand, but there's a different visitor coming in every week. What's your game day preparation like at this point? Well, when I do the radio show, obviously I'm doing the radio show, let's say from Yankee Stadium. So I get to the ballpark about two o'clock. Radio show starts at three. So from two to three, I'm looking over some stuff that I might want to talk about. And then throughout the broad, the radio broadcast, I'm writing stuff. If you're watching the simulcast, you can see that I'm writing stuff, looking stuff up on the computer, writing down my lineup sheet. Uh, so I get off the air from the radio show at 623. I run upstairs to the booth. Maybe I might grab two chicken fingers, something like that. And then I tape the open with either David or Paul or John or, or Jeff. Uh, then I take a breath for about 10 minutes and we go on live at seven o'clock. One thing Jim Cott once told me, uh, and I think it's a really good thing for all young broadcasters, you know, you know, somebody asked him, well, what are you going to talk about today on the game? And he goes, well, what's the first pitch? And then what would the first batter do? He, you got, you kind of have to, you know, react to everything that's happening. You can't really plan a baseball game. You know, you should be ready and no background stories. If the game is slow or something comes up. But in terms of like planning for what you're going to do, you know, we, it's not it's not the smart way to approach it. But, you know, John Sterling once had a great line as only John Sterling could have. I was um, coming from newspapers, so I'd get to the ballpark really early. And then I, I kept doing the same thing even when I was broadcasting. This was before the radio show. And I said to John once, I said, how come you get to the ballpark about six o'clock and I'm getting to the ballpark about two thirty? Uh, my voice is with me whenever I show up. So, and he, and, and then he also said, which is a true line, he goes, uh, I've been preparing for this my whole life. And that's what I meant by institutional memory. If it's in your soul and you follow the Yankees your whole life, you know, you should be okay doing a game. So again, we're doing this on the Celebrity Apex. We have people in the room right now who are part of the Legends of Baseball Cruise package they bought from Expedia Cruises. I, I think that most of the people here, I'm guessing, if you're here for this podcast, you're more excited to see Michael and our guests than you necessarily are me. I can tell you, though, um, I'm, a, I'm predominantly a writer. I deal with not knowing what to say, not knowing what to write, not knowing any of this stuff. You are constantly <laughs> with a microphone in front of you. Do you. What happens if you just say to yourself, eh, I don't have an opinion about that. I don't care. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the rules of engagement, especially on the radio. Uh, you always have to have something to say. But, you know, what scares me is that, you know, quite literally, I'm on the air live uh, during the baseball season seven or eight hours a day in a row. At some point, I'm going to say something really bad and probably get fired for it. But it hasn't happened in 32 years, so I keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't happen. My my wife will sometimes joke that uh, I'll fall into what she calls podcast voice, where where maybe like you know the the t tenor of the voice changes a little bit, and I. When you're talking to your wife, when you're talking to your kids, do you ever feel like you know what? Actually, I'm at home right now, and I'm not in the Yes Network studio, and I'm talking the wrong way. I'm code shifting maybe a little bit. You know what? The the, the one thing that people say, I, I don't have like John Sterling's voice, uh, and that's really John's voice. That's how he talks in real life. And I talk the way I'm talking right now is the way I talk in real life. I've talked to all of you, so I don't change anything. 
the funny part is that like when I like my wife will drag me out to have dinner with people and I don't talk a lot and they go you seem well first of all I am shy people don't believe that and then second of all I've, I'm I'm talked out a lot so I, I don't I like to just listen to people I'm curious about people's stories rather than talking about myself so you know obviously uh, there's a lot of don't do that to the kids and stuff like that but yeah I guess I don't run out of things to say it's not bad. I have to bring it up because I, I saw that something really special happened on this cruise. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of special things have happened. But one thing that happened is that Michael K tried an egg. And I heard it didn't go great. But I, I want to know, it, honestly, what is the most, besides maybe an egg, you have an all-you-can-eat buffet. You have restaurants that will serve you anything you want. What is the most interesting thing that you chose to eat on this cruise? The most interesting thing? What's the most different? That egg. I guess, though. Yeah, there you go. I mean, otherwise, I've had hamburgers and steak the whole time and some, some of the pizza in the ocean view. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a pathetic eater. Uh, I, unfortunately, it's, it's rubbed off on my daughter, Callie. My son, though, tries everything. He's like Jody. But the, the biggest question I've gotten about the egg story, you know, why would you go with the egg white? That's the worst part of the egg. Well, I felt it was the most benign part of the egg, you know, the one with no taste. So I said, just give me an egg white omelet with bacon because I love bacon. And I figured that the bacon would overwhelm the egg white. I figured wrong. And as I posted on, on Twitter or X and, and Instagram, I was right for 62 years. Eggs are not great. So I don't think I'll be going down that path again. I think they go through something like 40 million eggs on the ship every day. Yeah, it's well, it's don't comforting blame to me. know that one of, them, <laughs> one of them was Michael K. Don't blame me. It, it, it does tie in the previous answer you gave, though. One of the most interesting things about getting started in the business when you're in press boxes for the first time is you'll be sitting there on that line getting food. And suddenly you just realize that the guy behind you is the broadcaster. And you're hearing... The, the guy you're used to, you know, listen, tell you about the incredible feats of baseball you're watching, trying to order a hamburger. And it's just these weird things like I know that voice or mm -hmm. when you hear I, you talked about, you know, the guys you grew up listening to and you hear them on the phone suddenly, you know, having a fight with their wife or something like that. And it's just like it's a little disorienting. It's it's I remember when I was I started as a writer and I was covering the I was filling in for somebody. And I was there, there's some fans that might know there's Dick Young's probably the most famous sports uh, columnist of all time and he was covering the game with me for the post and he said to me like fourth thing he goes you want a hot dog and i said oh, I'll, I'll go get you one he goes no no i'm gonna get it and i said wow dick young is getting me a hot dog <laughs> now since food always seems to be a thing following around so i used to eat two hot dogs a day at the ballpark especially the old yankee stadium hot dogs were unbelievable and i think like Third year I was covering the Yankees, I looked up. I was 265 pounds. I said, this is not good. I have not had a hot dog in 30 years. Because I don't do anything in moderation. I, I'm getting that impression. Yeah, so I figured if I'm going to keep eating them, I'm going to keep eating them. I have two a day, and I'm going to just be disgusting. I'm still disgusting, but I'm a thinner... <laughs> Thinner version of disgusting. So I have not had a hot dog in, in over 30 years. Well, Michael, I think it's time to, to open up the room a little bit here. So what I'm going to ask, yeah, if you want to come up, there's a microphone sitting right here, right in this seat, this open seat right here. Just come on up and just please introduce yourself first before you ask a question. And then well, we'll, we'll get to a couple of these. Ken Schwartz. Um, Mike, I had a que question for you. Um, I grew up at the same time you did and remember all those same players in addition to Fritz Peterson, Mike Kekic, and Mel Stottlemyre. 
and they were and the announcers were great. Uh, but Marty Appel, he stopped me in my shoes the other day when he mentioned you in the same breath as Mel Allen. What did that feel like? Well, first of all, I, I thought Marty had been drinking. I heard that same thing. <laughs> it's a cruise. It's, it's easy to fall into that. Uh, I've always said this, you know, like people introduce me and they introduce John as the voice of the Yankees. And I feel very uncomfortable because I always say there's one voice of the Yankees, Mel Allen. Everybody else just renting the title. So somebody will be after me. Somebody will be after John. But Mel Allen, I mean, he started, he was the first guy broadcasting the Yankees. So even to be mentioned in the same breath as those people is very, very humbling. I don't think it's warranted or earned, but uh, it's nice that people think that way. Hi, my name is Ed Blum. And my question for you, Michael, is that obviously you were a writer first and then converted to radio and then to television. Can you speak to about that conversion? Because effectively, it is two different fields. Did you have any great apprehension? Or were you very confident going in? And who may have been your greatest influence into becoming a broadcaster? You know, just the three guys I mentioned before, you know, there, there were years that I watched or listened to every single Yankee game, every one, much to the dismay of my parents. Uh, where's this going? I don't understand. You know, it's, it's hard to become the Yankee announcer. Uh, but those guys influenced me in that way. Uh, I didn't really follow other sports that much when I was really young. So it was all baseball. So it was Rizzuto, White, and Messer. Just the feel of their broadcast was like three buddies talking. Uh, that was a big deal. I didn't feel that much of a, a strain going from the writing to the radio. I mean, I was in over my head the first year, you know, especially doing the play-by-play. -play. The analysis, I was okay. But the play-by-play, -play, that that's a acquired taste. But going from the radio to the TV was probably the biggest adjustment because, you know, one of the things I was known for with the 10 years I did on the radio was I described the uniforms. And when John Filippelli hired me, he said, okay, you can't describe the uniforms anymore. I said, why? He said, because we can see them. <laughs> so I think that when a radio guy goes to TV, probably the biggest adjustment is that you talk too much because you have, you have to describe everything on, on radio. TV is just let the pictures do the talking for you. So that was the biggest adjustment. And that took me a couple of years just to feel comfortable. You know, silence is an important weapon in TV. You know, sometimes you could talk too much, but just let the pictures and the ambiance take over. And that was probably the biggest adjustment. Hello, I'm Sarah Heimberger, Michael K's biggest fan. Um, Probably bigger than my wife, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, my question is, if you were to bring back Center Stage, would you consider doing that as a podcast? Uh, I think the visual aspect of it is important. It would have to be like a, a also a podcast with with, with pictures. It, Michael's slumming it on a podcast right now. I just want you to know. Like, I mean, yeah, I've, I've never, I've, I've never really done a podcast. I, I mean, I've been a guest on a podcast, but I've never. I've, people have asked me, and I just don't have the mental bandwidth. But it, it's it's strange, Sarah, because COVID kind of like really killed center stage. Because first of all, we couldn't do it because of no audience. And then it just became Zoom became such a thing that people don't want to sit down for an hour and a half anymore and be interviewed. So I'd like to revitalize it in some way, but I don't know if, if it's going to happen. I miss it, too. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking some time on our day at sea here on the Celebrity Apex. Uh, to everyone joining us in the room today, thank you guys, too. And uh, enjoy the end of uh, this cruise and hope to see you back here soon. Can't wait. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Oswaldo Cabrera. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. 
You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. So, Nate, while I was uh, the very lucky representative of our department to be on board the Celebrity Apex as part of the Legends of Baseball cruise, I, uh, I hope I, I gave you a sense of uh, at least one part of the experience during that conversation with Michael Kay. Really cool, John. I mean, we've gotten to do so many fun trips over our time here working for Yankees Magazine. This is certainly one of the more unique ones that any of us have ever done. Really cool that you got to do this. And, uh, you know, probably an experience that you'll remember forever, I would think. Definitely. Uh, you know, I joke. I mean, the, the reality is, first off, my, my entire professional career has been in baseball, whether Major League Baseball or the Yankees. So I have certainly gotten to do and see a lot of cool things in my life. But, you know, I joked with a lot of people over the last week, certainly friends from back home who couldn't believe that this was a work trip. You know, I also spend more than my share of time in like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and things like that. The Western Caribbean, it, it, it was nice. It, it, it was a nice way to spend a week, Nate. <laughs> you alluded to the, some of the uh, weather that you hit down there. Were there any rough seas or anything like that? Or was it was a pretty smooth sailing. <laughs> you know what? It, 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 the weather was not amazing. Uh, when you want to talk about the ultimate in first world problems, having to dodge some raindrops by going inside on a luxury uh, cruise liner, <laughs> a, a new luxury cruise liner, which the Celebrity Apex certainly is. Um, again, I should not be cried for. I was fine. I uh, availed myself of the many bars, restaurants, and other entertainment on board. But we definitely hit some of the wildest weather, both on land during the shore excursions in Belize. My uh, wife and I, I mean, just almost drowned, as it turned out. And um, in Cozumel, we got the experience of watching Mickey Rivers and Ron Bloomberg yell and scream that they would never leave the boat again as uh, we, we ran through what was clearly like the closest i've ever been to an actual monsoon um <laughs> you know and, and it was definitely choppy uh <laughs> as we sailed along but you know we we held it together and just made the experience uh more fun so give me a sense of what it was like on the boat is this uh, or is the entire clientele all there for the yankees or are there other people who who don't care about the yankees on this boat so this was the first voyage of the legends of baseball cruise it was a package put together by Expedia Cruises, Carol Wood, um, and Rob Steinfeld, uh, the point person there. He did it with celebrity. This was a regular celebrity cruise. There were, I mean, I think it holds some 3,000 people. I don't know exactly how many people were on board, but, you know, certainly seemed full. And our group had about 185 or 200 people in it, plus, you know, a bunch of former Yankees, including... I mean, let me just rattle them off here. Chris Chambliss, Greg Nettles, Cecil Fielder, Jeff Nelson, um, Orlando Hernandez. Uh, and every guy you just named, like immediately, like a super memorable moment comes to mind right? for like each one of these guys. Yeah. I mean, Ron, God, I forget what I said. Ron Bloomberg, Mickey Rivers, Oswaldo Cabrera was there, which was a fun treat for a lot of people there to meet a current Yankee. And Michael Kay was there. Marty Appel was there. I'm nervous that I am leaving someone out right now and I'm going to feel terrible about it, but I'm sure I will remember it at some point and with horror mention them. But it, it was just a wonderful group. And, and, and I got to say, one of the craziest things about this experience was 
you know, we, we've all been, I mean, this was obviously one of the weirder ones because we were at sea for a week. Uh, but, you know, we've all been in situations where players are making appearances, right? And that stuff is really, look, we need you to do X, Y, and Z from, you know, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And every other minute, you do whatever you want. And usually what that means is at 1 p.m. or 101 p.m., they are darting as far as they can away from the situation. And that's not a knock on these guys. You know, their time is valuable. And when I tell you, every one of the people from, uh, you know, every one of the VIPs on the Legends of Baseball cruise, they had access to areas on the ship that us commoners on the Celebrity Apex did not. But the number of times you would just see like El Duque just eating in the main buffet or Bloomberg and Mickey Rivers just like yelling and screaming, hey guys, come sit with us. We got a table. Come join us over here and everything like that. And, and the best example I would give of this is in Cozumel. There was a event that the Legends of Baseball crews ran. So you know, everyone, the other shore excursions, people did their own thing. This one, the Legends of Baseball crews had uh, a beach club, a really nice, it's called the Paradise Beach Club. And each of the players, each of the VIPs there had a cabana. And, you know, you know the, there were the rules of engagement, if you will. You know, you're welcome to go up to these guys. You're welcome to talk to them if you're part of the group. Also respect them, you know. If one of them's sleeping, don't tap them on the shoulder. But, but really, just basic humanity stuff, right? My expectation getting there was that these guys were going to hang in their cabanas, you know, drink a couple of uh, cold beverages, and head right back for the boat at the moment. Suddenly, and I don't know how this happened. It was, it was fairly organic. Someone started a wiffle ball game over in the corner and it started out with just you know el duque kind of pitching to a bunch of people and you know <laughs> does he still got the leg kick he does not we asked him about it. he said his knees can't do it anymore <laughs> um and you know everyone kind of taking their cuts a little bit ron bloomberg was really at this point running the show mickey rivers is calling balls and strikes suddenly like you just watched though as like jeff nelson came tearing across the sand because he heard it was going on and now all the players are involved and it becomes this full-on thing where you know, everyone, even the people not part of our group at the beach club, were all just like observing and wondering what's because you're, you're literally watching, including my mind you, a current Yankee Oswaldo Cabrera, <laughs> um, playing wiffle ball with all these people, and like that was the message for me of this whole thing. The number of times that these players were interacting with the people on this trip in ways that they didn't have to, it was pretty remarkable. I think everyone who went on it, you know, they all just had smiles on the entire time because, man, like they got so much more than I think they expected. And look, they're, they're doing it again next year. They were taking signups already. Uh, you can go to legendsofbaseballcruise.com and, and look what they have planned. But it was a pretty awesome experience. Amazing. Uh, like I said, I'm so uh, uh, glad for you that you got to, to experience it. Uh, looking forward to hearing some of the other interviews that you conducted while, while you were down there and uh, the story that I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be working on for Yankees Magazine. I mean, I had a... I had a good day down in Nashville with Clay Holmes, but I think you might have me beat as far as uh, <laughs> off-season work trips go. Yeah, it's going to be hard to top this one for a long time. <laughs> it was because it was just so bizarre, and I like I'm not like a huge cruise person normally. I enjoy the amenities certainly, but it's not some, when I'm thinking of a vacation. It's it's never historically been like my first idea, but man, this was just so rewarding in so many ways and one thing that i keep going back to and over the next couple of weeks you know you're going to hear more of the interviews that we did on board as you just mentioned but you know chris chambliss said something to me at one point which is they they do they see each other not that infrequently but it's almost always just a day where you know they fly in 
do their signings or whatever, and then fly out. And yeah, they share stories and interact, whatever, but you know, that's, that's kind of what it usually is. And they were having dinner together every night and not because they had to, because like, I mean, they wanted to, and you know, you would see in different restaurants, different people having different, like, it wasn't just like everything was like one group table where they were doing it. You know, it was clearly there, there was freedom for, they were doing the things they wanted to do. And for me, again, I, to be very clear, I was not paying as a fan to go on this. I was there working, but I also was not one of the VIPs on board, certainly. My eyes were just open the whole time, and the thing I kept seeing was just joy and real excitement. And one thing that I personally kept going back to is, and, and then I'm planning on writing about, is the way that this is essentially the reward. You know, that it doesn't matter if you, you like, you know, have all the gold gloves, or if you are in Monument Park, or if you have all the rings. You're a part of the family, and, and this is what you get to do. And where that was most meaningful to me, and because here, here's two examples of it where it'll branch off, if you don't mind. You have Cecil Fielder, who, I mean, what was he, a Yankee for less than two full seasons, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, he won here, and that's mm-hmm. a big thing. Yeah. He won, and he, and he acknowledges that that's a big thing. But you don't think of Cecil Fielder, if you, know, if you go to Wikipedia, I'm guessing, I, I haven't done it right now, but I'm, I'm assuming the picture is going to be him in a Tigers uniform. But when he's here as a Yankee. And so where I kept going to was Oswaldo Cabrera. Who knows what his career holds? You know, I mean, frankly, the Yankees just in the last two weeks have picked up Juan Soto, Trent Grisham, and Alex Verdugo. You know, I mean, it, it, he and I talked about this. It, it, it's a little harder to see where he fits. It's, obviously, it's a good thing that he's so versatile. But if I'm him and he acknowledged that this is how he's thinking, I'm looking at this and I'm saying... 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I don't know what's going to happen in between that time, but I know I can do this. I know that I'll always be welcomed as a member of this family in this way. And just me watching him learn that was extraordinary. And and it was very rewarding for me on a human level. It's a really special uh, fraternity to be a part of. And, you know, we, we talk about it on old timers day every year when we see the way that the the crowd reacts, you know, not just to the big guys, the, the Hall of Famers and the, the guys in Monument Park, but uh, the guys who, you know, maybe didn't have the, the greatest career, but they, they gave everything they had and they gained fans by the way they went about their business. And maybe they had a big moment or something like that, but um, it is something that stays with them forever and is super special. And... Um, yeah, really cool that you got to see it in this environment. You know, it's just so different than than anything we've really gotten to write about before. Yeah, it, it, it was awesome. And hey, look, I mean, you heard from Kay too. I mean, Michael Kay is a guy who he's seen a lot. You know, he's been here for a while. He's seen things here. Lord knows around the New York sports. There's not a, there's not a single New York sports event that if he wanted to go and sit, you know, in prime seats that he wouldn't be able very easily to go. And he was just the same. I mean, the, the man tried an egg. <laughs> like, you know, he really extended himself in some truly remarkable ways. <laughs> How about you, John? You know, usually when, when either you or I get back from these work trips, the, one of the questions we ask each other is, is what was the best thing you ate? Uh, any, any, did you try anything new? Was there anything that stood out that you ate during this excursion? <laughs> I'm not sure if I should admit this. Um, I definitely tried a lot of beverages I've never tried before, <laughs> which I enjoy. 
uh, man, the food was so good. So uh, obviously, I don't know if you've been on a cruise, you know, there's certainly the main dining rooms and the buffets and everything there is of an incredibly high standard. And one of the famous things about cruises is that if ever you're having trouble deciding what to get off the menu, the waiter will just say, here, I will bring both of them to you. And certainly the waiters on the Celebrity Apex uh, delivered in that regard. But um, I, I, I will tell you, man, there was one specialty r- restaurant on this ship. Uh, it's called Eden. My wife and I went there on, I think, the same night that we went to Belize. And it, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's up there with the best meals of my life. Like, mm. truly, truly, truly. My wife and I just kind of left there, just jaws on the ground. And I, I, mean, I feel like I'm giving an ad campaign here for Celebrity Apex. My wife uh, has celiac. Mm-hmm. And so anytime we travel, it's always a little bit of a stressful thing in advance of, like, making sure there's going to be food for her to eat. And my God, every single place we went, every single, whether from the buffet to the restaurants and everything like that, it was, you know, there was never a moment when she had to worry. She would tell the waiter, she would tell the manager, and boom. It was, it was, it was God, it, it, it was, it, there were, it was good eating. Awesome. Um, What'd again, you get there? What'd you get? I will say, you know, you went to Nashville, which is one of my favorite eating cities in the yes. country. So, you know, the, the, the timing might have been a little... But man, but I get, I had everything. Literally, there, there's there's not a single thing. <laughs> the answer to everything you're you're guessing is yes. Um, so it's a it's a it's a fine way to uh, spend a week, my man. Well, maybe I'll be so fortunate someday. Never been go. on a cruise, but after hearing these stories, uh, I'm certainly a lot more open to the idea. <laughs> no, and and look, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm joking about Michael K eating an egg, but it really like I, I don't know, you know. There's there's times that even though he's one of the VIPs there and certainly you know, at a much different level of you know fame and renown <laughs> certainly than I am, you know I think he was kind of just like excited watching some of the stuff too. He's used to being an observer also in a sense. He's used to trying to think about the things he sees as a observer and an analyst more than maybe a participant. And you know we both just kind of felt the same way. You know we see a lot of stuff around here. We see things. We somewhat know these guys and you know watching the way that these fans were interacting with them the whole time watching the way these guys were interacting with each other it it was a pretty special thing that the folks at celebrity and expedia built and i I just you know i mean anytime you do something like this i'm sure there were some people who were frustrated about certain things i'm sure that you know not everything was sunshine and roses for the people organizing it i can tell you from my vantage point anything that went wrong was invisible. Um, That's good. And yeah, it, it, it felt really good watching the first one be the success because who knows as this thing was being planned, you know, but I, I spoke to a lot of people there as Rob Steinfeld was making pitches for all the discount offers they would give if you would sign up for the next year. And most people I spoke to there said, yeah, we're, we're booked for next year. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a very special trip, and it'll be a special story in Yankees Magazine, and um, there's been a lot of uh, special things going on around here in the Bronx. Never a dull moment. There's no off-season around here. So, were, were you away when, when the Juan Soto thing became official? Nope. I was on, I was on dry land for that, okay. and uh, it was... Because everywhere I've gone since, that's the first thing anybody wants to talk about is... Can you believe Juan Soto is going to be in pinstripes so, next year? So two things about that. First, before we get to Juan Soto, the first thing I was away for, because this was really the first day of the trip, Michael Kay, um, we were standing and we were all sitting together in the theater as they were kind of introducing all the players. 
And, you know, I had gotten this on my phone about a minute before Kay started speaking, but it was Michael Kay who informed all the members of this cruise ship um, that Shohei Otani had just signed a $700 million deal. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that, that was a, a fairly interesting thing. Soto happened a little before that. It was really interesting, the, the whole Soto thing, though, because it's one of the, like, the biggest deals that I can remember since I've worked here for the Yankees. Um, but there was so like, there was like three days leading up to it where it just seemed so certain it was going to happen that it almost got anticlimactic for that reason. Mm-hmm. When like you had to remind yourself, like, no, wait, like this is this is like monumental. Yeah, I mean, you guys discussed it, and it, you know, I, I don't disagree that you have to you got to give up something that's that's going to hurt a little bit to get a player back like Juan Soto. But just, what a what a talent to be bringing here! I'm just so excited. Like it just it's like you know seared into my brain watching him in that what was it, 2019 World Series for Washington? Um, he was just so impressive, the way this guy battles against the best pitchers in baseball. It's so exciting. And so, like I said, everywhere I've gone, the holiday parties or wherever, Yankees fans are just so excited about this guy for, for very good reason. And again, this goes back to something that Mike and I were discussing too. You know, we can pick apart the 2023 Yankees and the, the problems made themselves clear as the season went on and really even before the season started, you know, as some of these guys didn't even get through spring training. So, you know, we can look obviously right now in the off season, you know, everything's perfect, right? You know, who knows how it's going to play out. But I go back to um, 20, the, the 2019 to 2020 off season, which obviously then turned into the very weird 2020 season. You could look at that team and say the top target that that team needed was Garrett Cole. And, Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman did everything necessary, everything possible to bring in Garrett Cole. Does that mean the Yankees won the World Series right after that? No. But this team has shown that it will do what it takes to get that massive piece when it's available and when it's possible. And whatever happens the rest of this offseason, look, there's a lot of balls still in the air. I think that whether it's before Christmas or whether it's after New Year, like whenever it is, I think there's going to be some dominoes that start falling pretty quickly. And a lot of stuff, you know, who knows where these guys are going to land, but, you know, you got to strike, you know, and the Yankees struck. Juan Soto was available. It was a big price to give up. Drew Thorpe is, you know, certainly looks like he's going to be an excellent pitcher. Michael King, not only a great pitcher, but great guy, just absolute wonderful person. You know, the, the young pitchers that were part of the deal, look, I mean, they've shown that they can play in New York and it's hard to give up things like that. And I mean, look, I, I, I don't think Kyle Higashioka has a role on the 2024 Yankees. I think that's a good thing for the Yankees that Austin Wells and Jose Trevino should be there. But Kyle Higashioka was the last Yankee who had been part of the team when the old Yankee stadium existed. You know, that's how long he's been here. So it's a big package and it's tough, but Juan Soto's a Yankee right now. Juan Soto is probably batting behind Aaron Judge right now. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm excited about too is that when you watch the Yankees and the hitters, you know, obviously they had their struggles in 2023, but they're all so locked in. You know, you, you just see them in the dugout, always talking to each other, looking at the iPad. They're locked in on the pitcher who's out there and they're talking strategy. And I feel like he's going to bring so much to the, to the team in that regard. He's just such a professional, good hitter. Obviously, left-handed bat, which is huge for us. Super high on base percentage. And what I, you know, I always like to, when we get a new player, go back and look at their their minor league numbers and, and look how, you know, just at what their, their path was to the majors. And um, 
it's crazy how, how little time Juan Soto needed before he got called up. I think there was an injury in the outfield in Washington in 2019 that, uh, you know, kind of forced their hand a little bit early. He had played like 122 games in the minors, something like that. You know, not even a full season, but his numbers were off the charts. I think his OPS was like 1,200 or something like that. It's crazy. And so they brought him up, didn't know, you know, how long it would be for. And, uh, you know, he stuck because he's just that good of a hitter. And before you know it, he's in the World Series leading the Washington Nationals to a world championship, uh, essentially as a teenager. Which is why, I mean, when you look at him now and you can't believe how young he is, well, that's why. Because he was ready so young. Yeah. So uh, I just think he's he's going to bring everything we needed. You know, he he's the, the kind of the, I don't want to say the missing piece because I know there are some other pieces that need to get filled in still. And I think there's still going to be moves to be made here in the offseason. But, um, you know, before you know it, February is going to be here. We're going to be showing up to Tampa, and you're going to see Juan Soto in a Yankee uniform. It's pretty wild. He, he posted, I don't know if you saw, he posted this cool video on uh, Instagram where you know, he's in there in his Padres uniform, and he takes a swing, and then the video's kind of from the side and the back. And when he turns, you know, and you're seeing the back of him, now you're seeing it in the Yankees pinstripes. That's and it's awesome. just like, it. it's going to be special. I mean, it. it I will say it was during our company holiday party when his Zoom press conference took place. So I like stepped out in the hall at the <laughs> Times Square Hard Rock trying to listen in to, to hear what he was saying. I caught most of it, but just seeing him in the Yankee hat, I'm like, man, this just looks like a perfect fit. So <laughs> I'm very optimistic. And uh, if you can't tell, very, very excited to see Juan Soto in 2024 here in the Bronx. I'm pretty sure that while that press conference was happening, I was uh, dodging you know, Hurricane style rain and Cosmel. Um, so I did not, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I will take your word for it. Nate though, obviously, uh, we are recording this on Wednesday. Tomorrow is the first day of winter officially. Or as we call it in my household, perpetual illness season. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we both have kids about the same age. I think we both know this pretty well, but we know the drill. We got Christmas coming up and then Nate, we have the bad boy mowers pinstripe bowl. Yes. University of Miami against your alma mater Rutgers university. It is, you know, it's it's just always so fun when uh, I was talking to someone who works with us today and you show up that morning and you're not used to driving in and seeing like tailgating fans. Yeah. <laughs> or hearing like marching bands in the yes. distance warming up. It's it, different. <laughs> it's really cool. I love seeing the, the college football pageantry and, and vibe come to Yankee Stadium, you know, at the end of December every year. It's such a great event. And, you know, I, I recommend it to people all the time. I'm like, if you've never been to a football game at Yankee Stadium, you should you got to do it once because you never know who you're going to see or what you're going to see. You know, we just had the, the official game programs for the Pinstripe Bowl delivered here this week. And there's a two page spread in there that lists all the Pinstripe Bowl alumni who are on current NFL active rosters. And there's some impressive names in there. So, you know, I, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you come here on December 28th and see Miami versus Rutgers, you're going to see at least a, a, probably a handful of guys who are going to be playing on Sundays in the NFL next year or in a couple of years. You know, there's also a page that lists the uh, every college football game that's ever taken place at Yankee Stadium going back to 1923. And there's some really impressive games on that list as well. So you just never know when you're going to see history or when, you, when you're going to see something special. And it's just really cool to see Yankee Stadium as a college football venue. We've had a couple overtime games here. We've had even some that weren't overtime, but were like one possession. We had a walk-off extra point in the first one I ever went to, which is 
still one of the weirder feats I've seen on a football field, a walk-off <laughs> extra point. But man, it, 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 it's a really cool event. I always look forward to it. I have not missed a pinstripe bowl yet, and uh, I don't plan to because it's, it's always a great day. It is. I, uh, I love college football. It's probably my favorite sport other than baseball. I love pageantry, and I love marching bands. You know, we just yeah. listed the three things, and <laughs> both these teams have been here before. Miami was here a couple of years ago when they played Wisconsin. Rutgers, I believe, has been in two pinstripe bowls, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, this and would be also, their third. Did, have they played a regular season game here? Remind yes, me. Yes. They, they played uh, Army. Army, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, it's always good when you have a local audience. I think what's really fun about this bowl matchup is, and I think Greg Shiano agrees with me, Greg Shiano, of course, the uh, Rutgers head coach, usually... Uh, in bowl games, when you're a northern team, you're going somewhere south and uh, hoping that you get some fans there. It's not that often uh, a Rutgers gets to basically be the home team for a bowl game. So that's a nice little advantage they have. Yeah, right up the road. Very easy. If you're a, a Rutgers student, you hop on the train down there in New Brunswick. You'll be, be here in a, in a heartbeat and get here early. Experience the uh, the atmosphere. Come check out the now world famous Rutgers marching band fresh off their performance in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. There you go. So that is Thursday, December 28th at 2.15. Nate, that is a wrap on our 2023. I think that certainly there were really exciting moments. We got to watch Garrett Cole and the Cy Young together. We got to watch, I mean, just at any of that that you get to see Aaron Judge is a reward and a treat. The season didn't go amazingly. It was, it was disappointing in a lot of ways, but I certainly speak for myself. I think I speak for you know everyone in our department that the rewards that we get from getting to talk about this stuff, getting to write about this stuff, getting to share this stuff, not even when is on a cruise ship, even when we are sitting in an office in the Bronx, I feel incredibly fortunate to have people who want to read what we write and hear what we say. No doubt. Uh, I feel the same way, John. It's, it's always great to uh, be able to share some of the stories from that, that go on here, try and take people you know, inside the clubhouse, down into the dugout a little bit. And yeah, looking forward to a great 2024. I think it's going to be a special year here in the Bronx. So whether you're celebrating Christmas next week or Kwanzaa or anything else, or like, you know, me and my Jewish family, we're probably going to get Chinese food and see a movie, something on Christmas. Whatever your tradition is, this is just the best time of the year. Enjoy it. Have a wonderful new year. And we look forward to speaking with you uh, on the other side. Hi, this is Jose Chirino. For more stories like these, be sure to pick up Yankees Magazine. You can get a copy the next time you're at the ballpark or by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. Thanks for listening. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks.